The horrific murder of George Floyd has led to a global debate about racism and colonialism today. In the aid sector, it has revived the discussion of whether the way aid is being administered is colonial and racist. It's a discussion I've often had with a young Zambian-Ugandan woman called Mabala Nialugu. Mabala did her studies in international relations and human rights and has for the past couple of years worked with various NGOs and private companies in East Africa. Racism and colonialism are at the same time deeply structural and deeply personal issues. It's very difficult to separate what is being said from who is saying it. It's therefore important for you to know that Mabala Nialugwe is not only a colleague, she's also my daughter and has been since she was 11 years old. So on one side, we are very close as father and daughter. On the other hand, if you look at us from an age, gender, ethnicity or nationality perspective, we are very far apart. We hope that our closeness, as well as the distance between us, will help you understand our perspectives and that you enjoy the conversation. So Mabala, Christina, Nakawombe, Nialugwe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Is the aid system as we know it racist? Is it colonial? Thank you for having me and happy Father's Day. Thank you. So for those who are wondering, I'm actually coming in from Kenya, Nairobi, where I have been for the past two years. And I would say this is probably the time when I can probably answer your question because I, I happen to be working at a place that's very diverse and very um, multicultural. And having left uni and coming back home, I have seen a bit of the dynamics that are at play in the, in the aid sector. So is the aid sector racist? I don't think it wants to be racist, but it is. And there are some colonial markings that still exist, unfortunately. Um, and much as, and in no way am I comparing what's happening in the States to what's happening here, but what I will think, what I do think is similar is that there's, there's this systemic um, factors at play that enable certain things to, to go on to carry on. So I think the way aid is administered and given in Africa and who is in charge of this aid and who has the power to give the aid, I think that really does play a part in how these racist um, undertones come out or play out. I do think there's a certain, with the people I work with sometimes, there's a certain outlook of the local population, you know, and this goes in terms of pay, in terms of what they deem is, is fair for them to receive in terms of pay, in terms of treatment. And there's a different level of treatment given to expats, right? So um, it's almost like expats are viewed as more delicate and are given more, I won't say benefits, but I will say definitely different uh, scales when it comes to pay, for example. Apart from the financial aspect, how, how does it play out? Apart from the financial aspect, I think it plays out in a lack of understanding and a lack of having the right language to communicate um, with people. So whereas, you know, the experts are more vocal and speak up for what they want and they're very assertive, um, local population don't necessarily have that and, and don't necessarily feel the need to showcase all the time what they've done. And that sometimes I think is viewed in a certain way because that's just not how the society works. And whereas 
so you know there's a there's a i think there's an, an outlook and a, lazy is the wrong word but there's a there's a look that's like oh these people are a bit lax so they're a bit like they're not really serious so they're not really determined and i think that comes because of just the differences in culture and misunderstanding so i think certain things are overlooked because they aren't presented in a way that make, makes sense the other group if that makes sense so what you're saying is that the local staff is more timid or less articulate or what are you saying i won't say i won't say less articulate and i won't say less timid i think the, that's too it's not the right word i think it's just not i think a lot of systems here in africa work systems local systems are very traditional in how they operate so if your boss is your boss you're calling them by sir you're not calling them on the first name basis everything is very structural it's a very high hierarchy if you want if you want to get something done you go to subordinate first you knock on your boss's door you don't just come in with your ideas whereas if we i think more western environments tend to be more linear where it's not like you know you sit with your boss you can call him by his first name you can challenge him in a meeting you can say i don't agree with this and i think if you if you come from a culture that is not open like that it's very hard for you to speak up even though you have the ideas so not necessarily i, I wouldn't want to use the word timid i just I'm just not used to right like all the people who come to my workplace always say how oh at their work they would never call their boss by the first name they would never you know sit to this open arrangement so you know if you are affected by things you're less able to articulate them if you want to move forward it, i think it takes you a bit more to express that even when i look at my previous jobs in uganda like it was very much and these were local ngos it was very much like the boss is right you know right so so then my next next question would be because i i think i i really understand what you're saying i get that right so Uh, and I come from a culture which is extremely uh, straightforward and and uh, non-hierarchical in its way of of uh, doing business, right? But is that, and I can see how that means that one side comes to dominate. Is that racist, though? It's it, so I don't know if it's racist, but I think it's something that the people in power can definitely use to their advantage, and that's the problem. So whether or not it's racist. You know, I think it it can it can take racist turns. It might it might not be racist technically, but it's definitely a power play that you can use to gain control. It's a play that you can use to your advantage, for sure. And I think that's where the the problem comes in if you don't even know that you're involved in that play, right? If you know what's happening and you and you're okay with it, that's fine. But then, if it's if you're working with people who give you the idea of oh we're open and this is happening, when in reality there is a bit more of control on one side then i think that's where it becomes problematic and i think that's maybe what the issue is what do we do about that yeah so i think we have these conversations and i think it goes beyond and this is very high level but i think we need to ask ourselves like who should be making the change for example i'm going to speak from africa's point of view because i'm in africa who should be making the change in africa and how will we have um substantial change that's going to be sustainable and that will last generations past you know my kids my kids children right because if that's the case then when you ask when you ask yourself that question who needs to be in charge who needs to be the one leading the programs who needs to be the one 
you know, going to communities and saying we need to do X, Y, Z. As long as it's the people from, I think, the West who are still in control, we're still going to stay in this cycle of aid, you know, donor money aid, you come, you leave, then you go. And then nothing really, nothing really changes. And I think that's kind of in the cycle that we're in right now is there's so many startups happening and there's so many, um, there's so much happening locally, but I think we really need to harness that more. And I think whoever, the, whoever wants to come and work here from the West really has to have a mindset of transferring what they know and not staying forever. Because I think as long as people are here in control and in power, then it doesn't give the local population that time to rise up and really take that change into their own hands. And I think that's what the issue is. And I mean, maybe this is a bit going a bit extreme, but I think the, the, the aid sector right now or the humanitarian sector right now is very lucrative for a young Western individual. I mean, you come here, you're paid a very good salary probably more than you'd be getting back home. You're living in a, a very nice neighborhood. You're, you're going to safari almost every weekend. You're going to the beach, you're going to the coast. It's a very good life. But you're here, high level, making decisions based on maybe weekly meetings of the local staff in a country and in a place where you haven't lived. You, what you know of this culture is what you read on newspapers and what you perceive through your friends, your other expat friends and community, and you're not integrated in this community. So how can you fully have a grasp on what would work, even if you read a couple of economist articles and you read, you know, you're not fully. You can have a 28-year-old 20, with a master's degree, fresh out of university, running big programs and, and, and dealing with people who have 20, 30 years experience on that person. And, and it's just, the, the, the power that you wield is just incredible. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what happens a lot. And, and I speak from experience. Eh? I mean, that, that's my career we're talking about here. Yeah. Right? And, and what I've always found difficult is... I, maybe let me put it this way. The things that always made me happiest was when... I ended up in a situation where that seemed that inequality or that power difference seemed not to matter in the personal relationship. So that you had a partnership with an individual you were working with that seemed to transcend those obvious differences, right? But it's it's what I've also found is that it's difficult and it's fragile. Right? You know, power sets in and certainly whether it's a corruption case or it is a budget that should be changed, that's often about money, then suddenly that friendship or whatever, that colleagueship you have, goes out the window. I've, I've, I've experienced that several times. And who says that I was qualified to hold the positions I held? Mm. I mean, I haven't experienced what, you, what you've experienced, but I think also, unfortunately, there has to be some kind of, of understanding of again, your post, your privilege, your power, and understanding how the other, other side is lacking in that for those conversations. Um, again, I'm, I'm not comparing this in any way to Black Lives Matter, but like what's happening a lot now and what's really trending is this thing of understanding your privilege and people are giving all these books and lectures and quotes and saying, you know, if you say this to me this way, this is wrong. If you do this to me this way, blah, blah, blah. 
and just trying to create that dialogue and saying, okay, look, we don't, not all of us want to come off as aggressive. We want to explain to you what's happening. Um, we want to explain to you why we feel marginalized. We want to explain to you what's been happening. And it's people saying, okay, you know what? I understand and I want to understand more. And I think that's what needs to happen. And I think that's not really happening. Um, from, what I, from what you said about the, the whole friendship thing, I think uh, what I see is, unfortunately, the, the dialogue isn't there between local and expat. Like, that's non-existent. Um, it's very hard to, to make friends across, you know, different social class and everything and lines, unless you're really forced to. And so what, what ends up happening is that you come as an expat and you're in an expat bubble. Like, I'm guilty of this. Like all my friends, we hang out in these expat places. Um, we go to expat restaurants, we do expat things. And if you look at your friends, you know, very few of my friends are actually Kenyan. Most are from, I don't know where, like Europe or, or the States. And so again, that dialogue is not happening. And so if, if it's not happening socially, you know, just in your everyday life, it's not gonna happen at work either. We're all just gonna stay in those roles that we think we fit in and are comfortable in. And we continue to just feed this system or feed this model of what's happening. And so I think, I don't know how those conversations happen, but I think that's, that's what needs to, to, to happen, to change. I, I, I still can't agree with myself whether it was a good idea or a really bad idea to have this conversation with my daughter. What I was hoping to do by, by, by having this conversation with you was that the, the fact that we know and trust each other and love each other the way we do, that we would be able to explore this in a freer way. But I can also see how, how you sit between many chairs, right? I mean, you, you have also, you are African, of course, but you also have grown up in a very Western uh, setting during a good part of your formative years, right? So, so how much are you African? How much are you uh, a kid from the international school in Geneva? What are you? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing when you were saying that. I, I think when you said that having this conversation and you being white, you know, if, if that's a good thing or, or right. I mean, technically for me also, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it's also questionable for me because like I said, like, like you said, it's, it's right. I do fit in many, in many places. But I think it's funny though, because for, for the locals though, like I'm not... You know, if you ask me where I was from, I'd say Ugandan, and I identify as an African person first. I mean, the way I look, how I, you know, I think. But then with some Africans, I would not fit in at all, you know? And I wouldn't fit that, that mark or, or that mold. And I, I really felt when I moved back to Uganda, so I left when I was 12, and I moved back when I was, I think, how old was I, 28 maybe? Yeah, 28. And I was working in local organizations and I really felt that divide. So yes, I'm home and I speak the language, but I still speak it with an accent so people can tell where I'm from. And also I remember complaining about something at a, at a, at a workplace about some, some colleagues just saying really inappropriate things to, to the women, to the female staff. And I remember thinking, oh no, we should like have a, 
suggestion box and you should talk about this. And people are like, oh, you know, it's because you went to school in Canada, like these things affect you. Like this happens here every day. Like we're not, we're not, we're not bothered by that, right? And so you see how you think differently. And I mean, they knew that, that what that was was wrong, but they didn't feel like they had the power or even really wanted to address it, right? And there were other topics that would come up where I don't really think the same. And I really had to dial back and be like, you know what, just because people think like this, like this doesn't mean I'm right or they're wrong. It's just a different way of thinking. Also, so there's that on the one hand, but then at my workplace where I'm working, you know, if you, I'm still, I'm still an African, I'm still a local, local. So in spite of my, my background and what I bring, and yes, maybe it does give me some leverage, leverage with some people, and maybe they do see me a bit differently, but then I am still local staff as well. And yeah. Yeah. I, it, it is complex, right? I, uh, and I think, I remember you called me one day and you said NGO means nothing going on. You were so frustrated with, with the organization where you worked at that time, not where you work now. But, and, and we had a conversation and, and, I, and it, it was about organizational culture and NGOs and, and that can really suck in African NGOs as well. Right? You can either yeah. have a, a founder with, with uh, uh, sort of a megalomanic uh, personality, or you can have, uh, as you said, uh, a very sexist culture, or all sorts of things going on. And as you said before, there is at times in, in the African culture a, a respect for hierarchy and, and the boss, which, at least in my book, is not healthy. And, and which helps perpetuate some of the some of the problems which are in Africa. And so so how how what about that whole set of issues? Yeah. So I mean that's a big one. And I think I was having a discussion with a friend of mine who also went uh, went to school abroad and came back home and was saying how like he just don't fit in. So you still be marginalized when you're working with people from the West, but then you also really fit in with your culture. Um, I don't know how how you how that changes. I think I guess it's it's this generation, I guess, just trying to push that. Um, I know there's there's places where I worked in Uganda where I was definitely, you know, looked at as being too vocal, being a bit too a bit too forward, and a bit too a bit too, maybe aggressive. Extra? Yeah, a bit extra and a bit assertive, you know? People didn't like that. So, yeah, and I think, so how do we change? And I think, and, and that's interesting now because as I'm thinking out loud, I'm just thinking that's where you kind of need these other work environments to come in. And that's where maybe you need the examples or the, of from like from the West, right? I, I, because I was going to say, we taught you to be extra. We taught you to be assertive. That's what we, me and mommy want you to be. And don't you dare change that, right? I mean, that's, that's what you should be. Exactly. And I think, and I mean, this is maybe where, you know, I feel like these places where I worked were, were mostly Ugandans, all local stuff. So that's definitely what was happening. But like the, the place I work 
at now is pretty mixed and you do allow, it does allow for a bit more leeway and freedom to, to you know, rock the boat, as I already said. So I don't know, maybe it's, I don't know how we learn from each other, but maybe it's having an infusion of, we do need to have an infusion of other ways of working. And I mean, I don't want to say Western, but the other. I'm not sure those categories apply, right? But I had, when we visited you, when I came to Nairobi and you took us around your hood, so to speak, uh, what struck me was how much that rested in itself, how cool it was and how uh, self-contained, not self-contained, but self-reliant, or, or, or it was its own thing. And it didn't, uh, it, it just seems to be to be utterly Kenyan and utterly hip urban vibe, sort of very elite, obviously, but but I've just never felt so irrelevant or, or, or just not um, just not seen. And that was wonderful. I, I really it was a very powerful experience of saying, oh, wow, this this is really moving. And, and there's no need for anybody to come here and do anything. This is just moving. That's wonderful. Yeah. And I think because I mean, a lot of that comes from, I think, the the country's identity as well. Right. Like Kenya is. It's compared to other most other countries, it's economically, well, now with COVID, it is kind of doing doing okay. And Kenyans have a strong identity and a strong presence, you know, of who they are and, and, and what they stand for and are a bit more like compared to Uganda, it's a bit more assertive, a bit more yeah. And also there's a lot of different cultures here as well, you know. So it's, it's like a melting pot as well. Like people just do their own thing. That being said, though, there's still, it doesn't take away the different dynamics and things that are still going on that don't work. But maybe we should take the conversation back to where we started around aid and the specific, we both have a career in aid. We both work in that space. And... And, and it's, it's, I think it's fair to say that people who, who go to that career or gravitate towards that career are not more racist than the average person. I think on the contrary, they at least try to want to make the world a better place, try to strive for equality. And I think, I think it hits us hard to, to have to have these conversations because we, we have to recognize that clearly there is, there is a massive issue. But... How do we get at it? How do, how do we change it? No, I think the first thing, which it's not even doing, it's talking. People don't have these conversations. I, I am absolutely certain there's no NGO or you know any other business or firm which has a multicultural uh, office or um, population that sits down and is like, okay, so do we think we're racist? Racism here? No, you come into the country, you're given a post and you start working and it, it becomes and it's honestly like this invisible thing that is just lurking around how you work and how you do. But I think it's definitely sitting down and having a question. Okay, like what's happening here? What are we doing? So it's being aware. And this is what, again, I go back to this Black, Life, Black Lives Matter thing. I think for me, so if, 
let's say I'm the expert who's coming to the country, right? It's being aware of my privilege. It's being, it's knowing, okay, you know what? I am this color. I have the power. If I say this, if I do that, I'll be listened to and I will, people will follow what I say. So how do I change that? Or how do I put, how, how, how are things put in place to check on my privilege and to check on what I'm doing, right? So it's simple as having, if we have a board, it has to be 50% this, 50% that. People have to check in on, people have to check in, people are, the systems in place and people in place who will check in on decisions that are being made, the way we are going, the way we're running. There has to be a deliberate, again, effort. I was saying this handover of like, we're not going to stay here forever. We actually want the local population here to be the one driving the, driving the, the change and being the leaders in the future. So what's our plan to do that? You know, there's this thing, we have this, um, I think to get a work permit here, you really have to show if you're an expert that you are transferring knowledge to local population, right? Like your whole idea is to enrich people here and that eventually you will leave. You won't stay here forever, right? Because the whole point is to give jobs to locals. But then how many times do we actually set a plan to do that? I think we just come in here, okay, well, I'm working for five years and I'm, I'm gonna go. But that, that transfer of power, that transfer of knowledge, that transfer of like that mentoring, you know, if you're somebody who, if you know we have the skill to ask for better pay, to speak out, are you mentoring people in your office? Are you building them up? Are you giving them chances to do that? So I think there's, there's little, there's practical things that we can do, but at first you need to be aware of what's happening and be aware of the dynamic that you are in. And unfortunately, people are aware, like you need to know I'm a white man in a predominantly African society and I'm getting all this privilege. I'm a white woman. And when I walk into a meeting, people will listen to me. You need to know that, you need to acknowledge it. And I think that's, that's what's not happening. I'm not sure it always makes a difference. It, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I just, I'm just tired of seeing gravity setting in. Do, do you know what I mean? Exactly, and that's, yeah. And, uh, and why I was saying you need to, you need to be deliberate because, because I think gravity sets in from, from the moment that project begins, you know? Yeah. Or that person walks in. And that's why I was trying to push for these like intentional things. But I mean, I, I, do, I don't really know how else. Yeah. So I, I'll give you an example. I have, um, I, I left a fairly high position and, and it was taken over by a friend of mine who's an African. And we had a conversation before he took over the job. And one of the things he said to me was, I have to be really careful with the money or they think I'm corrupt. And I said to him, I actually think, that's not the danger for you. I think the danger is that you, you, you will not see the freedom that you actually have because you're used to a much stricter accountability than what we have. And so you will not take the space that you have and not, will not be able to exercise the leadership that, um, that you could. But you had those different takes because of obviously the shoes that you were in. Yeah. But from a formal power perspective, he was now in my shoes. But before? Yes, but now here are the new shoes. Now you, you, have, yeah. you have been arguing for, for the, the duration of this, for empowerment and, and letting go of power. Okay, here. There you go. 
how do you use it? How, how, how do you actually play that role then? And, and what I'm reflecting on, and I'm deliberately not saying that I was right or that he was right, but I'm saying what was interesting for both of us was the, the different understanding of what the challenge would be. And who knows who was right? Yeah, and I think because of the way the system works and because of how it's been like structured, I think that's that doesn't allow allow him to have that freedom immediately. Because you're thinking, okay, now I've been given this. I don't have the power, but now I have the power. And it's traditionally it's with this group or this person. Maybe you're right. Maybe no. I think it is because I think. But I mean, think about it. If you if you're in a position of power where you you are the donor or you are the person that the West you know resonates with or plays with, your mind is already open to that. You already think in, in a constraint that's creative and can do whatever because you, you you're not you're not you're not dependent on X Y Z, and you have that again. You have that privilege to think like that. You have that privilege to think. Okay, now I can do this. But if you've been constrained before and now you have to think otherwise, it's it's not easy to make that, that step. I didn't say it was easy. It's very difficult. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm, yeah, that's, yeah. And I think, I think that what you just said is that, that that's a lot around the personal perspectives and what individuals do when they end up in, in different situations. And it's, it's about, uh, I mean, how do you categorize our family, right? What are, where are we local, where are we, you know, that, that is one set of aspects. And how do you as an individual sitting between many different cultures, how, how do you play your, the, the hand that you were dealt? And then I think there's another uh, more structural issue which also has to be, be addressed. And, and that, that is the one about we, we will have equality when we have as many mediocre female bosses as we have male bosses, right? So, so that yeah. the whole structural reshifting of the the power balance or or the business model or whatever, and and that's a that's a heavy lift, thing. It is a heavy lift, and I think, yeah, and I think you've summarized it well. What all those points are, like I, I I can't repeat them, but yeah, there's all those coming into play. Maybe the last thing I'd like to pick up with you, Marvala, is, is around... So, when I look at your friends, you're sort of... When we speak about this whole identity race, how angry are you, how... Um, how assertive are you about being... I mean, I'm not, you're clearly proudly African in Africa making yourself part of the the culture there and so on but but some of your friends are a bit more militant than you are in 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 my why, why do you think you are a tad more moderate in my views on racial issues yeah uh to be fair i think i think it's the environments i live and i think it's the the people i came into into contact with hmm. um i think I left Uganda when I was 12, uh, then went to Switzerland. And I think Switzerland and Zimbabwe is where I did my, my schooling before uni. And I think, I think that really changed just being in that international school system as well. 
but also I think just our family, our family is very diverse. Because now actually, I was gonna say it was the schooling, but then I realized it's not only that, because I do have friends who also went through international schooling, who are also very militant and who are very like pro-black. And and let me just be really clear here. I'm not saying that you are right, that you, your position is better than the more militant no, one, no, no. because maybe you, I mean, that's it's not what I'm getting at. I'm just trying to understand where it comes from. And and do you yeah. do you, do you sometimes think that maybe you should be a bit more militant? No, I don't think I should be more militant. Why not? I'm perfectly okay with the way I, I think I'm militant. I think I'm militant enough because I think, for me personally, I think being more militant doesn't allow you sometimes to hear. It just allows you to talk, 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 and that's fine if that's what you want to do. But if you actually want to create equality and if you want to actually fix this or make it better then you're gonna have to have some dialogue and you're going to have to approach it in a way for me personally that i think doesn't have to be so militant and also it depends i mean if there's there's times when i am pretty militant i mean if you're really saying stuff that's really you know out of line or completely completely different or whatever, then I am going to say, I mean, wrong, I am going to call you out. But I do think, but I do think, I think just our family, the fact that I've lived with you, I've seen your family, I've seen how, you know, how we interact with each other, I think that plays a huge part. I mean, I know we're not talking about this, but when I, when I talk with friends who are, who are not homophobic now, but were homophobic, and in no way am I comparing any of these issues, by the way, I'm not saying, you know, I'm just giving an example. Most people's ideas change when they are in interaction with somebody who's gay. Hmm. You know, when you when they now have a friend who's gay or they now go out for dinner, it's like, oh, actually, you don't have five eyes or like five legs. You're like me. And I think that's, I think that's what has made my views change. I think it's living with you, it's, it's being with your family, it's living, it's going to the schools I had and having the friends I had, you you begin to understand how actually, yeah. So the question then is, this wonderfully nuanced and very reasonable position that you have just outlined, uh, and that I'm really happy with, obviously, because that I think is also why it has worked so well with our families coming together. Does it hold you back from addressing some of the more structural issues around racism? I think that's the question. Are you too reasonable? No, I don't think I'm too reasonable. Because I have, I mean, I'm not going to go in, into too much detail, but I have tried to address some of the structural issues when they come into play. So without, and it's, and I think it's, it's, it's the approach that I take them in, right? So I'm not going to go to somebody and say, hey, like, it's not fair that ABCD is like this because you are like that and the world is like this. I think the approach I take is this, that the people from this, this country or this culture or from this, or who've grown up here think like this, therefore do not feel comfortable expressing themselves in this way. And that's why they may not be as vocal about certain things because of that. And this is something you need to be aware of, right? And that's how I approach it as opposed to being like, oh, you're racist, oh, you're ignoring people. 
or you're not listening, you're not doing your job. I think for me, we've uh, we touched upon most of the issues um, that I wanted to talk about. And I thank you um, for, for, for taking time to do this. It's, it's really nice to have this space to, to think through some of these often very difficult um, issues. And, and, and I can think of nobody better to do it with than you. So thank you. Yeah, and I just wanted to add, I mean, we, we, we were discussing what this would look like before. And I think it's, it's funny how this, that conversation and this is similar, but also quite different. It's interesting how, and maybe this one is more refined, so maybe that's good. But I think for me, what I would just want to say and, and end with is just being aware of, I think it just begins again with being aware of your privilege, being aware of where you stand. And I think that's something that this talk has reminded me of, but also I remember moving back home, it, it really hit me how just because of where I've lived and what I've seen and how I think differently and to not take that for granted and to always be aware of the shoes that you, you fill and be aware of how that affects the way you think. It affects the way you see things and to always think of that when addressing somebody else or thinking of issues. Think of the lens that you're coming from and trying to understand the other lens they're coming from because I think that's I think once the more we do that, the more understanding we have and the more dialogue we have. But if we are completely oblivious to that, I think that's where things get lost in translation and that's why we don't have these honest conversations. I have nothing to add. Thank you. Asante sana. It's about the rights and the freedom to be for people to choose their path in life and dream. Souls of men beyond what you see. Stages are different for each who will lead. Cycles of outsiders that get fat checks, fly in, fly out of places with slums and jets. Ask better questions, pick apart, educate. And no one is safe, we're here to build and debate. We are, we are searching for more. Open up your mind beyond rich or poor. For the truth, you've been warned. Humanitarian.